Eon Project Studios, overlooking the vast, pristine acreage of Primrose Village. Greetings from this hidden gem of the Blackstone Valley. You're listening to Experts of Nothing with Mike and Jay. Amen. Oh, good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, I hope the listeners enjoyed that. We have a we had a special uh, religious musical guest here today. We had the uh, the Benedictine monks of Santo Domingo de Silos. That's right. Thank you, guys. They were here. See you, guys. Hey, leave that whiskey alone. They're trying to gank our whiskey. They're on the absconding way out. with alcoholic beverages. You know those monks? They got nothing else to do. They pray and they drink. They pray and they have those little. Uh, what's you up know, with the with that monk hairdo? I don't know. You know they actually have a hairdo. It's called the monk. It's called the St. Francis, actually. Oh, the St. Francis of Assisi? It's like the old man. You know what? If you're an old man and mm. you've got that ring of hair around the bottom, you know? The old ring cut? The, yeah. Yeah. Why would you leave that? Like, you can't think that looks good. You got to take care of that. You got to just bick it off. You know what's even worse than that is the guy that has the ring cut, but then has the, the couple strands of hair that oh, go yes. from one side over the top They're to the other. They're fooling everyone by by uh, by slicking them down and moving them across their It makes you their look head. even older than you are. I mean, if yeah. I had that, I would definitely uh, go Well, with you wear the, a hat most of the time. Most people, the you know, they can't see us, but you are usually wearing a hat. During the uh, during the uh, uh, recording. Well, you know, it's usually early morning hours, and I have bedhead, and I don't feel like combing my hair for you. Who are you trying to look good for? The secretary? Yes. Well, Babette. Babette is the new secretary. That's right. Miko was fired for. She uh, got fired. She was. uh, She stabbed me in the eye with a chopstick. Extracurricular activities. That's right. Anyway, well, welcome to another edition of the Eon Project, where we absolutely have a, a great time discussing things that we have very little knowledge about. Yeah, we had some good, interesting feedback about last week's show. I didn't people get much it. feedback about yes about last week's oh, show. Oh, you didn't? No. And uh, did we, people like it? They we, did. They we, did enjoy it. You we know, talked does, about the, the hidden messages in music, hidden satanic messages in uh, rock and roll music, right? And uh, we had Frank come on again with Frank new, was uh, on Endeavor. Yep, Frank was on. You know, uh, and uh, we wish Frank the best of, of luck in his efforts. And if you weren't here, we we, uh, we had a commercial for uh, Frank Skanks and Frank's uh, Gentlemen's <laughs> Club and Hot Dog Emporium. Uh, and it, it was—it sounds like a great place. We haven't had an opportunity to visit yet. We maybe we should have a field trip. Yeah, head down. There. I have to clear that with my wife, though. I don't want to get. No, in you shouldn't tell her. That. I shouldn't tell her. No, but you know what? I wonder what your credit card receipt—you know—what it shows as the, the business where you use your credit card there. It'll just say Frank's 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 Frank's. That's right. Interesting. We went to get a couple uh, meat dogs, nitrite sticks. Yeah. So on this week's episode, we got a little bit different. We're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna travel the world through time and space. Yes. And discover hidden lands. Hidden lands, mystical lands. Hidden mystical lands. That have yet to be proven if they exist or not. Yes, yay or nay. So you decide. We're going to, yeah. But before we get into that, I I have a a question for you. And this is actually. Oh, I like answering questions. This is about as serious uh, of a topic. Well, not really a serious topic, but it's as serious of a discussion, a serious question that I have for Mm -hmm, you. And mm -hmm. I want your honest answer about this. Okay. I don't want you to, to, you can say something funny, but I don't want you to be funny. Mm. If that makes sense. Why is it. Oh. That the only industry in modern consumerism where you actually don't get a an exact price for things is car buying. Meaning, when you go to the car dealer, mm-hmm. 
they don't have a, a, a pr- they'll have a price on the car. Right. But that's not the price that the car is, they'll sell it to you for. It's negotiable. Mm. Why is this the only industry where this happens? It's not. Yes, it is. No. Okay, name me another industry where this you happens. Can, you can negotiate just about anywhere. That's not true. That's true. If no. you go to, I went to Guitar Center recently, mm-hmm. and there was a guitar that was for sale that I wanted, and it was listed for a certain price, and I negotiated it down to a different price. Well, that's ridiculous. But first of all, okay, so maybe that's a one-off, but but in general practice, mm. why is it that car the car buying experience is such that you have to haggle for Well, generally speaking, they work on commission, so they try to get as much out of you as they possibly can. Yeah, but other industries work on commission as well. Like and- what? Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of a lot of businesses. Let's say furniture sales. Yep. Okay. So you go into a discount furniture store mm-hmm. or a highfalutin furniture store. Yep. And those prices aren't negotiable. Yes, they are. No, they're not. I'm telling you, you are crazy. You what just you, don't you, do it. What do you go you like think, Turkish bazaars? I'm and you got you got you got to be haggling. Well, do you with, think it's you think it's all? Oh, oh, look at me! I just go in there and I just accept the price for what it is. Yes, because that's the price. No, you're you don't. To pay. No, you don't. You go in there. We're living in a society. You tell them. You tell them what you want to pay. No, that's not true. It you is can't true. Just go in there. I can't. I can't go into to a stop and shop and ask them for a pound of ground beef and say I'm not paying a dollar fifty. Well, it's different. I want to pay sales. They're not in sales. I'm making a commission. About well, no, no, I think this whole thing is ridiculous. No, no, you go to the furniture store, you go to the furniture store, and, and, and you, can, you can negotiate. You know, I don't know if I've ever told you this. No. Nobody told you. You're dumb. You're dumb. <laughs> There's something wrong with you. Okay. Oh, Why whatever. is that? Right. You don't understand the concept Because you just made that whole thing up. You don't actually go into stores and haggle. I know you. You're affronting no. for this show. No, no, no. You're trying to impress everyone, and you actually pay the price. You probably pay more. Matter of fact, I'm quite the negotiator, no, my friend. No, you pay more. Well, whatever. Anyway. Well, sorry for that discussion mm. that devolved into an argument, which tends to happen on this program. It does happen. So anyway, we're going to talk about some uh, mystical, mysterious places that people have been searching for since the dawn of civilization. Yes. Why don't you go first? Since You probably you want me to go first? Yes. Oh, okay. So what are these mystical places? What are they? Yeah, different. So th- as you say, throughout history, mm. you know, people have talked about these specific uh, lands and mysterious places. And as you say... They, they may be real, maybe they're not. Maybe they're actually misnamed. Maybe there's some sort of misconceptions about them, and, and this, these type of things turn into legends. And, you know, as time goes by, uh, the mists of time obscure That's reality. Right. And you wonder, you, you know, you wonder where these stories come from. And much like, uh, you know, stories in the Bible and, and things of that sort, you know, they have, they have roots in, uh, you know, some of the stories probably have roots in reality, and then they just morph into these different these different stories and things like that. Mm-hmm. So the first place I'm going, I'm going across the world on the other side of the earth uh, to Asia. I'm going to Japan. Ah, uh, you always like Japan. I love Japan. You know, I love my time there. Japan. I wish I had spent more time interesting there. Interesting place. Uh, I met a lot of interesting um, native ladies, if you will. <laughs> Remember me? Oh, je m'appelle. Oh, that's French. Yes. Watashiwa Mike. What's your Watashiwa? So we're going to... We're gonna we're gonna talk about a place called Ryugujo. No, Ryugujo, Ryugujo, and this kind of ties into something we talked about a long time ago, which was the the shoujo, which yeah. was a uh, a mysterious uh, creature of Japan. Oh, was that the drunken creature that wandered the the, 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 the beaches and stuff? Yeah, exactly. Mm. So this is Ryugujo, oh. and it's in, it's a Japanese uh, uh, folklore, and actually it's loosely translated to Dragon Palace Castle, which okay. is cool because I like dragons mm-hmm. and uh, castles are cool as well. And it basically it's a, it's an undersea palace, uh, and it's the home of the dragon kami of the sea. The dragon what? Kami, kami like communist? No, like K A M I. Oh, kami or kami. 
It's the Fidel Castro of the ocean. And I guess depending on uh, whatever version of the legend, it's built from red and white coral or from solid crystal. So uh-huh. depending on who you're getting the story from or where you're reading it, mm-hmm. it uh, you know the the it changes. What it changes kind of things in its form. There? Well, you know, we'll talk about the inhabitants, and the inhabitants of this uh, palace were Ryujin's family and servants. Oh, you remember Ryujin, don't you? Yeah, he had lots of servants. And speaking of servants, you know, there was a uh, there was a time there, Mr. Well, Belvedere. That was a servant. He was a servant. Remember I love Mr. Belvedere. Bob Euchre was in it. Bob Euchre was in it. Yep. Who else was in that? Anybody uh, famous? Who was the guy? Who was Mr. Belvedere? What was his real oh, name? Do you remember? Uh, no, I don't remember his name. Oh, but I, oh it, Conrad. Was it something? Uh, Conrad. No. No, that was Conrad Bain from Different Strokes. Oh, that's right. It was Different Strokes. <laughs> so, uh, in some some legends, uh, on each of the four sides of the palace is a different season. So this this is a you know a, a story explaining the seasons. You know, and in an early cultures. You know, they were trying to find and discover uh, new and interesting and trying to find trying to find ways to explain natural events and natural occurrences around them. Mm -hmm. So in this case, one of their stories that they told is that each of the four sides of the palace was a different season. Okay. so you'd go to each side and then the season would be well confined. And one day in the palace was equal to a century outside of its boundaries. So you only live one day in the the palace. One day. One day and you're dead. And the most famous legend about the palace concerns Urushima Taro's visit to Ryugos for three days. Oh. Yes. What did he do there? Eh, you know, he he uh, he went on a, uh, a drinking spree. Um, sake. <laughs> sake. And uh, geisha girls. You ever have a sake bomb? You ever go to like a like yeah, a, yeah. A, a, a hibachi restaurant and get a sake bomb? It's, it's, just a, it's a Japanese beer. That's right. And then they drop a, a shot of sake into it. It's delicious. Mm. So there's a station in the, uh, Fujisawa, which is in the Kanagawa Prefecture oh, Kanagawa. in Japan. And it's actually, it's a modern day station and it's designed to to look like the Ryugojo. Oh. And it's called Katasi Inoshima Station in Fujisawa, Kanagawa Prefecture. Wow. Did you practice that? No. That was right on. I told you, man. I'm, I'm, I'm half Japanese. I'm cultural. Oh. So in the Ryuku, Ryukuyun religion of Ryugojo, which in Okinawan is Rugu, is the source of fire for all family and village hearths. So, <laughs> as you can see, uh, you know, it comes into the home of every Japanese person, mm-hmm. the the legend of this. And, uh, yeah, so, it's a, you know, it's an interesting, that's a quick one, but uh, there's, oh. there's a little bit more on that uh, if you want to do some research on your own. But I just want to start with a, a Japanese story. I see. Yeah. Christopher Hewitt is the name. Yes, of, you uh, just looked it up, didn't you? I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're going to stay in the Pacific now and talk about another mystical land. Ooh. It's the South Pacific, if you will, a land called Tianomanu. Oh, it's uh, it sounds Fijian or, or uh, it is, Polynesian. It is Polynesian. So Tianomanu was an island in the South Pacific that was said to have disappeared beneath the waves, all thanks to a man whose wife cheated on him. You want to oh, hear this story? Yep. So the tale goes as such. A cuckolded husband oh. named Rorimenu, whose wife, Sawateu, which I don't know where these names come from, mm went to live with another man on the island of Tianamanu. An enraged Roramanu purchased a wave curse from a witch doctor, unknown, to seek his revenge and traveled to the island of Tianamanu with four waves attached to the front of his canoe and four in the rear. Mm. Now, how you attach waves to your canoe, I don't know. But apparently, this guy found a way to do it. Well, it's mystical. Once ashore, he planted two taro plants, kept another, and beat a hasty retreat to his own island of Aliati. The curse stated... That when the leaves sprouted on his taro plant, the waves would be unleashed upon the island. On the day of the sprouting. Sprouting? Yeah, when it was sprouting. Sprouting or sprouting? Sprouting. Or sprouting? It was sprouting. Oh. On the day of the sprouting, Ronamanu watched from a mountaintop as eight waves surged on Tianamanu, 
one by one until it sank, never to be seen again. Oh. Believe it or not. So the legend of the sinking island. Yeah, believe it or not, there's actually some geological evidence to support that <clears throat> Tiananmen was an actual place. But it's much more mundane of a uh, explanation as to what happened to sure. it. Sure. The island sank into the ocean due to massive geological shifting in the area, which isn't as cool as a plant curse mm. or, or a cuckolded husband. <laughs> but the, so you know, and, and back, you know, in that area of the world, there's always islands appearing and disappearing, mostly sure. due to, due to uh, volcanic activity. Yeah, you know what's funny is um, the the story of the disappearing culture or the disappearing island is prevalent throughout history. And you know, one of the most famous ones is Atlantis, which we're not going to talk about today. Mm-mm. But I saw an interesting um, documentary recently. It's been done to death. No, this one was really good, and it was, uh, you know, the, uh, he's like a famous Jewish uh, uh, mystery, he, he seeks out mysteries, uh, uh, what? I forget his name, Sasha. Sasha Baron Cohen? No, I forget the guy's name, but he, you know, he wears like a beanie, and he and he has glasses, no. and he's out there doing all these different things. He's a beanie, huh? But it was on the uh, History Channel or Science Channel, one no, of the two, and he teamed about. up with James Cameron, oh, a filmmaker, Yes. and they went out to do a new... And uh, modern uh, take on the Atlantis theory. Well, that James search. Cameron is quite the explorer. So the the prevalent theory is that it's was somewhere outside the Straits of Gibraltar, the mm-hmm. Pillars of Gibraltar, the I should Straits say. Straits of Gibraltar. And uh, out in the Atlantic, through uh, between the uh, Spain and the North Africa, mm-hmm. and they they found some stuff under the ocean, some ruins in the ocean that dis, that that need more uh, ex, a scientific exploration. So it was pretty interesting. Uh, like I said, we're not talking about Atlantis today, but there are things out there. Like I said, some legends do come from fact. Well, you know, Gibraltar. Just to backtrack for a second, Gibraltar was has been a very important piece of land. Uh, throughout the centuries, it was actually, it was actually fought over up until uh, the the uh, 1800s. Uh, there were actual wars to to control Gibraltar because if you look, what does Gibraltar do? It controls entry into the, the Mediterranean Sea. That's right. So if you own Gibraltar, you could like shoot at uh, any boats that come by. One of the un- other interesting things that they discovered was um, so you, the island of the Azores, which is out um, west of west of the Straits of Gibraltar, in, in the Atlantic Ocean. And it was always believed, modern historians always believed that they were, there was no culture, there was no people there until the Portuguese landed there in the 1500s, Those I The Portuguese believe. were quite the explorers. But they've recently discovered that bronze-aged peoples sailed through the Mediterranean out into the Atlantic Ocean yeah. and settled there good uh, for fans. a time. There was evidence of that. So that was interesting. That is pretty interesting. Anyway, do you have more to, to add to that? No. To my Tiananmen? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. No, moving on. So now we're, we're coming back to the Americas now. Okay. And actually, it's going to be right around that time of the 1500s where uh, European explorers were running rampant across the, the, the New World, across Especially the those Americas. Spanish folks. The Spanish conquistadors, and we're going to talk about one here in a second. Oh. Uh, one of their main goals was to try to find a, a city of gold. They thought that, that there was uh, gold uh, strewn about the Americas, ripe for the picking. So let's go to 1540. Let's do so. 1540, the Spaniard conquistador all-around bad guy, Francisco Vasquez de Coronado. Coronado. Uh, He basically led a large expedition north from Mexico to search for wealth in the seven cities of Chibula. Oh. Instead of wealth, he found farming peoples living in an array of communities and villages in what is today Arizona and New Mexico. That's not very exciting. Of course, these uh, native people were the Apache, the Navajo, the Hopi, Hopi, actually, Zuni, Rio Grande Pueblo Indians of today. So, searching for gold, he finds nothing but people of bronze so to speak. Looking for gold in all the wrong places. So Coronado, he arrives at the Rio Grande. Is it Grande or Grande? Rio Grande. Grande? La Grande Fromage. Rio Ariana Grande? Mm-hmm. She used to be a nice girl. Now she's a raging lunatic. I don't know raging if she, if she was ever a nice girl. Anyway, so of course he was disappointed because he couldn't find anything. No. He found pretty much nothing among the Pueblo peoples. But he heard uh, from... He found an some in- mud huts. <laughs> he heard from some uh, native Indian 
who the Spaniards uh, affectionately referred to as the Turk for ah, some strange reason. I'm the Turk. Uh, he heard about a wealthy civilization called the Quivira. Quivira or Quivira or Quivra. It sounds good no matter what how you say it. So basically that was far to the east of where they were. And the chief supposedly, the chief of the Quivra drank from golden cups hanging from trees. Ah. That's on some place I would like to go. I don't know. I would just steal the cups and move on. You could, you can't. That you have to drink from them from hanging from the trees. Oh. So or of else course, they hang you from the trees. Hearing from this, hearing this, Coronado, the narrow-minded twit that he was, mm. led his army of more than one thousand Spaniards and Indian aides onto the Great Plains in 1541, and with the Turk leading the way. And of course, the Turk was leading them kind of astray. Yeah. But on his journey, Coronado traversed the Panhandle of Texas. Have you ever been to the Panhandle of Texas? Uh, I've been throughout the state of Texas, and I can tell you that there are long stretches where there's absolutely nothing. To this day, mm. uh, Texas is a very. I've lived there for many. I lived there for many years, I should say. Uh, very interesting dynamics. Very different climates from the north of Texas sure. to the south of Texas. Uh, just an interesting place in, in general. That's correct. So as they're going through the Panhandle, it soon soon, soon came to Coronado's realization that the Turk was taking him in the wrong direction, uh-huh. and that Quivra was to the north. So he's it, pissed at the Turk at this point. That's that's right, because it appeared that the Turk was luring the Spaniards away from from New Mexico. Uh, with with those tales of the Quivira, or Quivra. Mm. It's hard to say. I don't even know how to say it. You're saying it probably incorrectly, but that's okay. okay. So the Turk was trying to trick them, hoping they'd get lost in the vast plains. Well, he was getting lost himself. He was. <laughs> he was. He was walking in circles. What a what a what a death wish that was for him. <laughs> so what happened to the Turk? Well, the 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 slow moving army of Coronado's army. Basically, he sent them back to New Mexico, and then he just took thirty mounted Spaniards, priests, Indian followers, and the Turk. And some other guides, and he forced them into service, servitude, to, uh, to to help them along the way. He changed. I need know, some servants. He decided to change his course northward in search of that mysterious place. And after more than thirty days, he found a large river in Arkansas, and he found Indians hunting buffalo. Oh. So the long and short of it is, he finally made his way to the quote unquote uh, place that they were trying to get to, Quivra. But what was there? Buffalo. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Native people. Uh, no gold. Wow. He found one piece of gold, but apparently it was from one of the people in his party. So it was a failure. The whole it was mission a failure. was a failure. It was a failure. And you know what they did? And the, the, the conquistadors, and they went through North, South, and Central America, killing thousands of people looking for gold, and they never found any. Well, there, I, I take exception to you, sir. Okay. Because I have a story that also involves the Spanish conquistadors in that same time frame. Did they find gold? Well, you're going to have to listen to the story. I'm listening. Everyone has heard of El Dorado, correct? You've heard of El Dorado. You know, I've heard of El Dorado, and, you know, just a quick uh, local story. <laughs> I knew you were going to say this. There used to be a restaurant yes, here. Yes, did. Uh, in a very seedy part of town called yep. the El Dorado. And you know what? When I was a child, that was a fine dining establishment. It was. That was a, a, one of the only sit-down restaurants around. That's right. You'd go in there, and, uh, you know, it was uh, uh, Spanish-themed. It had a conquistador on the front of it. They did. Yes. Like a profile of a conquistador. That's right. And, and the food was good, and it was right next door to the uh, the Woonsocket Motor Lodge. Let me tell you, that's right. And you know what? I, I remember very distinctly going there as a child, and it was one of the only times I felt like an adult because they ask you, you know, what you want. It's a sit-down restaurant. They ask you what you want to eat. It's not like McDonald's. You don't go up to the, right, right. To the counter. We were poor folk anyway. Sure. But uh, I remember distinctly the uh, the waitress was taking everyone's order, and she came to my brother who was a couple years older than me, but he's kind of dumb. Mm. And she says to him, uh, you know, she takes his order, and then she goes, Oh, would you like a salad with that? Mm. And he goes, yes, I will have the salad. And he's probably like, you know, eight eight or nine years old at yeah, the time. Yeah. And she goes, okay, dressing? And he goes, yes. <laughs> okay. So he just, he he just, just said, acknowledged yes, that there will wanted, be dressing. He acknowledged the dressing. He didn't say what, what kind he That's wanted. right. He didn't tell him what kind. Anyway, so the El Dorado restaurant was in a bad part of town. 
But the El Dorado that we're talking about for the purposes of this program mm. is a city of gold that was supposedly in South America in the 1500s. And sure. Let me tell you about how all this came about. Okay. Soon after the Europeans began sending explorers to the South American continent, which is opposition to they were sending folks to the North American continent too, they began to hear tales of a city of enormous wealth. The first rumor that was heard by the Spanish explorers in the 1500s was that there was a tribe of natives living near near Guatavita in present-day Colombia. Mm. Colombia. Colombia? And that the tribe that lived there was... Uh, the, the tribe, um, excuse me, the tribe leader of the, uh, the of the tribe that lived near that lake was covered in gold dust. He was so he was like walking around covered in gold. Oh, and so they called the the, the, the Europeans started calling him El Dorado, which which means the gilded one. Wait a minute, he wouldn't have been able to survive. Oh, I saw Goldfinger. Gold gold yes, he was yeah, painted with painted gold. in gold, and, and uh, he was killing people. I don't know if that's true or not. They actually, they I believe they tested that on MythBusters. Did they? And uh, how it did, did it turn out? It didn't. It didn't kill anybody. Mm. In any case, so. The natives also, supposedly, according to the stories, routinely threw gold into the nearby lake to appease some sort of god that supposedly lived under the water, some sort of water god. So the interesting thing about this, and I hate to interrupt you, no. is that you know, uh, you know, we put and, and span and the Europeans in general put their thoughts and beliefs across the world into other cultures, right? So right. they had value to gold. Most native people that's, did not well, value that's, gold. That's a good point because that's true. So according to the according to the the rumors, they used to throw the gold into the lake. Now, if the Sp- the Spaniards reasoned that if they had enough gold to just throw into the lake, they must have a crap load of gold exactly somewhere stashed. So they went there. They found Lake Guavarita, and uh, and found believe it or not, actually found some evidence that the stories may have been true. They found gold and jewels mm. along the riverbanks of this lake. So what did they try to do? They tried to drain the lake oh. so they could get to the treasures at the bottom of it. Bad move. Unfortunately, it was unsuccessful. unsuccessful. They were not able to drain the lake. But they did, as I said, they found a bunch of gold around the riverbanks. So they remained convinced that there was a city of great wealth somewhere in the area. Mm. So they searched and they searched and they searched and they never found it. You know what I find amazing? I hate to interrupt you again, but you, I you just, just did it again. I keep thinking about all these things. I find it simply amazing that without modern technology and modern transportation methods, that they're able to get around. Yeah. They it get took around them a long time, but and they, and they find their way through the jungles and stuff. It's amazing. Yeah. So no one has ever found the supposed city of El Dorado, but as to its location, we are left tantalizing clues. Ooh. Left by a source that you probably would not associate with El Dorado. Stevie Wonder? No. Oh. Edgar Allan Poe. Oh. Whom you automatically think of when you think of Spanish explorers, right? That's you right. You automatically think of Edgar Allan Poe. Yep. No, not really. But in an 1849 poem entitled Obsequiously. Oh, I thought you were going to say, quote, quote the Spaniard nevermore? El Dorado was oh. the name of the poem. Oh. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe offers an eerie suggestion as to its location. Quote, over the mountains of the moon, down the valley of the shadow, ride, boldly ride, if you seek El Dorado. Oh, that sounds like the directions I got from my GPS on my phone. It sounds like uh, Indiana Jones. Didn't they, didn't they have a Valley of the Moon? Crescent Moon. Valley crescent, of the Crescent, crescent moon. moon. That's right. What if they stole it from there? Maybe. Anyway, so that's El Dorado. Never found it. They never found it. Nope. They never found the, the Gilded Man. They never found the Gilded Man covered in gold dust. Oh. There gold. was a wrestler named Gold Dust. There was. There was, was yeah. He was covered. He was painted gold. Yep. And uh, he, he was he was, was kind of fat, too. He was like a fat guy. He was a chubby guy. Sure. I used to love the, uh, the the old school wrestlers when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Not so much anymore. You know, I have a friend of mine. I haven't watched wrestling in years. Listen to this. This You're going to think this is odd. <laughs> I have a friend of mine who seems like a s- relatively normal human, yep. right? He's uh, he's well-adjusted for the most part. Uh, he's in his mid-30s. 
and he is a the j- biggest wrestling fan <laughs> you would ever imagine. And okay. he, like you and I, he started when he was a kid, but most people grow out of yeah, it. Yeah. He doesn't like grow it. out of it. Okay. So, uh, you know, at, at our place of employment, we have a locker room. And if he op- when you op- when he opens his locker, he has little figurines in his locker of wrestlers. Oh, that's kind of odd. And he's always watching Monday Night Raw is, is and married? all these different things. He is married. That's ob- that's weird. It is weird. Is he listening to this program? Probably not. Oh. We'll go. So, we can make fun of good. him then. He's a nice man. Do you man. have a ladies locker room at your work? There is. A ladies locker room? There is. I go in there sometimes. Do you routinely go in there to hours. make sure that everything is okay? When there's no ladies in there, I use it because it's much cleaner than the men's room. It's a good idea. Yeah. Anyway, so All right. we're moving on. Yeah, we are going to move on. Uh, we're up to, about at the halfway point of the show. Okay. And, you know, we some of the, one of the things that we always talk about here on the show is that how Mike and I are extremely talented. There isn't anything that we can't do. When we set our minds to it. We're smart. We're, uh, we're handsome. We're musically inclined. We're, uh, I'm not. You know, we're uh, uh, whiskey aficionados. Yeah. We like to play soccer. You know, I used to think I was a, weekly, uh, a whiskey aficionado until I met... Uh, Remember famously our friend Jake, yes. who visited the program and brought with him uh, many different whiskeys of different varieties. That's right. And that guy knows way more than I do. Uh, and in in his, but but I, he was able to expose me not only to himself mm. but uh, to the whiskeys. That's right. And and just a quick aside to that, we're going to have Jake on again at some point, Ooh. and we are going to do another alcohol infused program. Yes, it's going to be a wine and whiskey. Uh, excuse me, wine and whiskey. a wine and cheese tasting. <laughs> cheese. And uh, yeah, that's going to be coming up here in a few weeks. I'm going to have to get an Uber. But to go forward full circle to our multi-talented uh, uh, facades, if you will, mm-hmm. Mike and I can do impressions. Yep. We can do impressions like no other. Like nobody's business. Celebrity impressions. And we, what we like to do is not only do the celebrity impressions, but we like to do them in the vein of whatever movie or uh, program that the, that you heard these people uh, in. Famous, famous movie quotes. To give it context. If you will. That's right. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a contest. We're going to have a movie quote impersonation contest and uh mike and i are going to do a few of them each and then it's up to you the listeners to email us at the eon project at yahoo.com that's the eon project at yahoo.com and let us know who you think is the impression champion of the world it better be me so i'm going to go first so this goes back to a movie in the early 80s he's a great he was one of the most iconic uh movie characters of all time and uh, I'm gonna just going to say it, and you can tell me what it is if you know the answer to this. Not me, but the, the listeners. And you, if you want. Oh. Okay? All right, let me get my voice going. Here we go. <clears throat> <sighs> All right, you ready? Mm-hmm. Here we go. Go ahead. Make my day. Oh, what'd you think of that? That was pretty good, wasn't it? No? Uh, yeah, I have a guess. What is it? That was Charles Nelson Riley from Cannonball Run. Oh, close, close. That was uh, that was the great Clint Eastwood oh. in the famous 1983 movie Sudden Impact. Sudden Impact? Yes. No. Wasn't yes. that from Dirty Harry? No. I, are you sure about that? I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Trust me, I'm a Harry Callahan fan. What were some friend. of the other ones? It was was it Magnum Force? Magnum Force was one. Dirty Harry was the first. Then it so was, they weren't called. It wasn't called Dirty Harry and Dirty Harry Two and Dirty Harry no, Three. No, no. The first was Dirty Harry. Then it was uh, Sudden Impact and Magnum Force. Uh, hmm. Deadpool was the, one. The Dirty Harry and the Deadpool. Yep. Anyway. Anyway. So all right. Good. So you're gonna now go now. Turn, right. Yep. You're gonna go. Okay. And uh, you have to tell me tell me who this is. Okay. Hold on. So this is actually uh, from a, a famous movie. A very famous monologue, and I have a story about this, actually, when I'm done. But ready? So hold on. Let me uh, get go myself cl- right. Go ahead and clear your voice. <clears throat> here we go. All right. Here it comes. You can't handle the truth. 
Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's gonna do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know. That Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. Wow. You, <laughs> you took that to the next level, my friend. I did one line. You did a whole monologue. Well, you know, and there's a lot more to that clip as well. There is, but you had to cut it off there, didn't you? I did, I did. Well, I was running out of steam. Man. So what do you think that was? Uh, that was, uh, that was uh, the, the late, great Jim Neighbors uh, from Gomer Pyle fame back in the 60s. No. No? No. That was, uh, that was, th- that was the uh, world-famous Jack Nicholson mm. portraying Colonel Nathan R. Jessup oh. from the movie A Few Good Men. Uh, oh. Starring uh, Tom Cruise and Demi Moore. And let me tell you a real quick story about that. Yeah. So I actually took acting. You know, I'm an actor. Yes, I mean, you're talk, a very established uh, thespian. Yes, yeah, so I'm an actor. So I took acting classes when I was in college. And it was soon after I got out of the, of the Marines and specifically. Yep. And I was tasked with, with doing a monologue. And I actually did that monologue mm. in front of everyone, mm. in front of the acting class in a big theater. And it was so poorly received. What, they couldn't believe. What do you mean? It's that sounded really good to me. Well, I've been working on it over the years. It just shows you how much I've come. Because when oh. I first did it, it was terrible. Oh, but now look at that. You've grown. Mm-hmm. You sounded like Don Knotts originally, and now you sound just like it. Ah. That's amazing. All right, good. So I'm gonna go next, um, and I'm gonna. I, I, I don't want to even tease it. I'm not even gonna say anything. I'm just gonna go right into it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let me clear my throat. <clears throat> I'll be back. <laughs> oh, what, did that, what do you think that was? That was Martin Mull from Clue. That's close. No. That's close. No, that was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh. One of his few lines in the the great 1984 sci-fi movie Terminator. Yes. Where he uh, he went into the police station. And you said, know. Yeah, and he was. He was it's yep. funny that you mentioned. I was re- reading something the other day. Apparently, Arnold Schwarzenegger for for T2. You know, one of the most successful action movies of all time. Sequel was, too was Terminator 2. Yeah. And he had. Something along the lines of uh, 250, 300 words that he said through the entire movie. Mm. Maybe even less than that. Mm. It was like 200 words. And they broke it down and he got, you know, so many million dollars. So he get, basically he got like $53,000 a word. Wow. For every word that he said. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. I huh? do enjoy the Terminator c- series. Uh, the first one was pretty good. Mm. A little dated. You got Linda Hamilton. Uh, looks much better in the second one than she did in the first she's, one. She's all beefed up in the second yeah. one. Yeah. All right, so what do we... You, you get one more. I got one more. Uh, how many have you done so far? One. We'll do three each. No, that's too many. That's too many? It's just it's two each. Okay. Want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago. That's how you get Capone. That's how you get him. Wow. Wow. That, uh, it was almost like he was in the room with me. What do you think of that, huh? That was amazing. That was uh, Doris Day... From the 1960 classic, uh, Pennies on Your Head. That was Sir Sean Connery. Oh. Who was here moments ago, sitting on this very chair. You don't want to shit out of chair, do you? I shit in this chair? No, that was good. Oh, wow, you. you're, uh, you're amazing. Thank you. You're unbelievable. I do my best. All right, so I got one more that we're going to jump right into. And, uh, you know, so Mike is out-dueling me here because he's got these elaborate uh, impressions, these elaborate lines, and mine are just quick one-liners, right? So... I guess I'm going to have to give you one more quick one-liner because I'm not nearly as talented. Okay. <clears throat> Here we go. There's no crying in baseball! Ah! <laughs> yep. 
Ah, that's great. What that's, was that? That's uh, that's uh, uh, Kevin Costner from Field of Dreams. That's right. I'll have a catch with you. I'll have a catch. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed uh, that little bit of humor and moving lines. Moving along. Moving quite along. Oh, that was kind of, uh, you know, it is what it is. You should probably leave that one in the past. Yeah, well... <laughs> We'll it sounded better in, in pre-production in concept, meetings. <laughs> in concept, it sounded great, and uh, it didn't smooth out so well. But why, anyway. Why don't we get into, before we get back into the mysterious places, because sure. I have a few more. I have a, a, a strange news story to read okay. that you don't know anything about. Oh. This is actually from yesterday. This is so. This, this is, happened yesterday. Yeah, this oh, is this timely. Is, this is fresh. So, here's the headline. Police probe bizarre doll concert at North Carolina Park. Probe? April 3rd. Residents and police in a North Carolina town were left scratching their heads by a bizarre display set up using toys at a public park. Mm -hmm. Celebrants at a birthday party Monday at Jake Rusher Park in Arden discovered a strange scene. More than three dozen dolls and other toys were arranged in a semicircle around a toy saxophonist giving a mock performance. What? Do these dolls come alive at night and play in the playground? Birthday boy Ethan theorized. We thought it was strange, said Ethan's mother. We weren't really sure what it was out here for. We're guessing maybe lost animals that were left at the playground, not really sure. Asheville police confirmed uh, that uh, officers visited the park to check out the unusual spectacle. Investigators determined that there was no criminal intent, but they put two lit candles out as part of the display. <laughs> so the saxophonist was fake too? Yeah. Oh. So there was a bunch of toys arranged in a semicircle around a toy saxophonist. Like a, like a, like a toy saxophone concert? Yes. So mm. who would have taken the time, number one, to do that? Mm. That's creepy as hell. That's I, interesting, though. I mean, people have some creative, interesting ideas. Yeah, but you just leave it out in the park like that? And yeah. of course, somebody called the police because that's what I would do. Of course. Why would you call the police that for people, something like that? Let me just tell you, police people call police for anything. Anything. I understand that. I, I don't, don't discourage people from calling the authorities when they need to. Yeah, but, but don't you feel that it, in this case it is not warranted to notify the police department? Well, what if they were explosives hidden within the dolls? What if there's explosives in the, in the pile of dog crap that you see every morning? Oh, I used to blow up dog crap with firecrackers. Did you really? That was fun. All Sh right. Should we move on to Tibet? I got a place in Tibet. Oh, you want to go? Yeah, I'm going to go. All right, go for it. We're going to talk about a place called Shambhala. Oh. We're going to move to the mountains of Tibet. You know what Tibet is? Tibet, yes. Tibet is near uh, Mount Everest. It's right near Nepal and India. That's right. So the lost Tibetan paradise of Shambhala also known as Shangri-La, you may have oh, heard the Shangri-La Tida, is a valley cut off from the world. The wisdom of the human race is being conserved there against the threat of imminent catastrophe. Shambhala is located in the Himalayas in the remotest part of Tibet on a high plateau surrounded by a ring of mountain peaks. Mm. The, myth, excuse me, the myth of a lost Tibetan paradise came to the notice of Europeans in the 1580s when travelers to the court, court of the Mughal Emperor Akbar, remember him? Oh, I, I like Akbar. Admiral Akbar? He heard they heard strange and wondrous tales of a remote Himalayan world. They were first these tales were first recorded in AD 962 in India. Mm. The tale that there is a Buddhist uh, there are Buddhist precepts uh, preparing for the day when the world will be ready to live in peace. The kingdom is the shadow of a white crystal mountain approachable only through a ring of peaks next to a mountain, a lake and a palace. Here the wisdom of humanity is conserved ready to save the world as needed. Mm. Sounds pretty cool, right? The Dalai Lama, who you know is in charge of Tibet or whatever, yep. has stated that Shambhala may in fact be a real place, but it cannot be seen or visited through normal physical means. Oh, so you have to be... You have to be enlightened. Uh, your consciousness has to be opened to these uh, to these things somehow. Yeah. But if you go up there, yes. you know, we have satellites and stuff and yep. you can see, yep. there's just a bunch of snow. Just snow. 
No, no palaces. No, nope. you got to get into some trans transcendental meditation to yeah. uh, to locate this place. That's right. Mm, interesting. Interesting. That's it. So you got on that on Shambhala, yeah. Oh, okay. Go ahead. All right. So I'm gonna. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's gonna dovetail into something I'm gonna say Ooh, here. Dovetail. So I'm gonna talk about a place called Agathra. Ah, Agathra, which is, uh, you know, of course, like all of these, it's a legendary city that is said to be located in the Earth's core. Ah. So this, believe it or not, is a. It's a belief that kind of goes back a long time that people thought the Earth is hollow. And believe it or not, some people today still believe that the Earth is hollow. Yeah, not very smart people. Uh, you know, they do like, uh, yeah, whatever, whatever their beliefs are. And just like the flat Earth theory, you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of crazy. But, you know, so it's, it's as I said, it's it's related to the belief that the Erlo, the, the Erlo, the Erlo, Earth Erlo is hollow. That's tough to say. So in the 19th century, a French occultist, and I'm going to try to do this in my Fre no, best no, French no, voice. No, say it. Alexander Saint-Evise de la France. They always have long names. How's that? Pretty good. Basically, he published the first reliable account of Gartha in Europe. And according to, uh, we'll call him uh, Alex for short, he, <laughs> what's so funny? I don't know. Oh, you made a weird face at me. I did? Yeah. Oh. So according to him, the secret world of Agatha and all of its wisdom and wealth will be accessible for all mankind when Christianity lives up to the commandments which were once drafted by Moses and God. So if you live in a godly uh, uh, way, mm -hmm. if you abide by the commandments wholeheartedly, then you can achieve Agatha. Okay, so okay. it's like a state of mind. That's right. So when the anarchy which exists in our world is replaced by synarchy, ooh, that's a good word. Synarchy? Alex basically describes, and he gives a lively description of Agatha in his book, which we're not going to talk about his book. It's not. Because it was a long time ago. And he's not a sponsor of the so show. So the explorer, Ferdinand Ozendowski, you've heard of him, right? Oh, yes, yes. He the, played. He Didn't he play linebacker for the Chicago Bears that's in the right. 1950s? He was an early Polish explorer, which mm. you don't hear much about. No. But anyway, he wrote a book in 19... Somehow he was able to find his way around. <laughs> hey, did you hear about the, uh, there was recently in the news, I don't know if you heard about this, the, the Polish terrorist that tried blowing up a bus? No. No, he burnt his lips on the exhaust pipe. Ooh, that's an old one. So he wrote a book called Beasts, Men, and Gods. And in his book, Ozendowski tells of a story which was imparted to him concerning a subterranean kingdom which exists inside the earth. And this kingdom was known to the Buddhist as Agathra. So Buddhists. it's the same, the same concept uh, that we were talking about earlier. And it's amazing how this is prevalent throughout uh, history. It's not that amazing. So as we, you just talked about uh, Shambhala, and Agathra is frequently associated with or confused with Shambhala. Uh -huh. So people that don't know as much as you and I do right. confuse these two things. Okay. Yes. So it, you know, it figures prominently in Vajrayaran Buddhism and Tibetan Kalarkara. And it probably is in the Mahabharata. Mahabharata. That's right. That famous Indian uh, epic poem. You know what I think of when I used to when I was a kid. I used to, when I ever used to think of India, I used to think of the Indiana Jones movie Temple oh, of yeah. Doom. Where they used to eat the monkey brains. I didn't like that scene. <laughs> was was that a disturbing scene? Yes, as, of as course a it was. They eat the monkey brains. You know what was even worse than that when they cut the snake open. Oh yes, and the the snake babies eels, came out. There was eels or, or whatever they were, and they were eating them. Oh man, that was weird. That's gross. Are you so, done with your part? No. Oh. So theosophists. Theosophists. In particular, regard the Agathra as a vast complex of caves underneath Tibet inhabited by evil demons called Asuras. Oh. And speaking of caves, I've been watching these videos on YouTube mm -hmm. about these people with these strange beliefs. And this one guy believes <laughs> that the earth is flat and that there's a giant tree in the center of the earth. Mm -hmm. And that the root systems make up all, go throughout the entire planet. And all the other trees, roots come from this particular tree. And there's all these elaborate cave structures root structures under the earth. Very, I can categorically say that that's not true. That's very strange. So Helena and Nicholas Rokrik, whose teachings closely parallel, 
parallel theosophy see Shambhala's existence as both spiritual and physical. So they believe it's spiritual as well as physical. I see. Shambhala. I see. Don't confuse it with Agathra. Agathra Shambhala. You got it. All right. What's we, yours called? Are we done with Tibet now? We can go. Yeah, we can leave Tibet and let's, go to... Let's go somewhere far away from Tibet, as almost as far away as humanly possible. We are going to go to Africa. Ooh. You ready for that? I've been to Africa. Twice last year. Twice last year. In the early 16th century, Portuguese, remember those Portuguese, they're, mm. all, they're out there exploring. Yeah, the Portuguese explorers started reporting that they're hearing legends about a castle in Africa. Mm -hmm. So that's weird. So you don't hear, you, you know, there, you don't you normally put those two together. There's no castles, castles in, in Africa. Africa. Oh, yeah? In the land today known as Zimbabwe, Ooh. the natives told them that there was a stone fortress that towered over the trees. The locals called it Simbawa. Simbawa, I guess. Simbawa. 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 Even, even the natives didn't know who had built it. One explorer wrote home and said, quote, When and by whom these edifices were raised, as the people of the land are ignorant of their writing, there is no record. But they do say that they are the work of the devil. For in comparison with their power and knowledge, it does not seem possible for them that they should be able to be the work of man, unquote. So for centuries, Europeans thought that Simbawa was actually uh, a superstitious story. You know, nothing to it. Then... In the 19th century, which would have been the 1800s, they actually found it. Whoa. There in Zimbabwe, they found a massive castle with stone walls more than 36 feet tall. Wow. That's pretty tall. Turns out the castle, you know, they, they figured out who built it. Well, kind of. The castle was built in around AD 900. So it was about 900 years after Jesus died. Anno mm. Domini. Mm -hmm. uh, or after Jesus was born, I should say. That's right. By an African civilization that has been lost to time. But they were incredibly connected, because inside the fortress, relics were found from all over the world, likely j uh, gathered by trading with other countries. There were Arab coins, Persian pottery, and even relics from the Chinese Ming dynasty. Mm -hmm. So this is proof that a lost African civilization for forgotten to history had trade routes that went all the way to China. So let me ask you this. The, the castle was in Zimbabwe? Yep. And when you think of Zimbabwe on a map, is yep. it close to the sea? No. It's, it's more inland, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. So how are they trading with the Chinese and with the Persians? Well, you know, and that's that just goes back to the alternative history theory that that we don't we think that I like, think we know all sorts of stuff that tribes, uh, ancient tribes, stayed amongst themselves and didn't in, in right. interact or trade with other people, which isn't true. People were going all over the. It's just yeah. human nature, right. to go outside your boundaries and explore around. So it's oh, it's Except been happening me, because when I go to like strange places, yeah. I try not to venture too far from like my hotel. You know, I'm, I'm kind of the go, same way. I don't want to go walking around. I get nervous. Yeah. I don't like. I'm not. I'm not the adventurous type when no. it comes to just wandering around randomly. No, those are the people that get killed or kidnapped. I found a guy one night walking on the highway. Yeah. And uh, he, he, you know, he looked all rough and tumble, and he had like a. He kind of looked like a hobo. Oh. And I said, Did "Where he have you, a hobo spike?" I said, "Where are you going?" He goes, "I'm going to Vermont." Oh. And he so was coming the wrong from. Way. He was coming from New Jersey. Okay, that's a long he walk walked, from New Jersey to Vermont. He walked and hitchhiked. He was hitchhiking the whole way. Mm-hmm. Why was he going to Vermont for? He just wanted to go there. He's oh. like, I'm just going to Vermont, man. You know, if I was a homeless dude, I wouldn't go north. I would go south. To, I would, too. To warm, warm weather. Sure. Why, would, why wouldn't you? If you're going to be homeless, be homeless in Miami. Don't mm. be homeless in, in Vermont. Actually, Miami, there's a lot of homeless in Miami, Well, that's where you go. Eh. Why would you go somewhere else? You live in the homeless community. Oh. You could. You could live in the subway tunnels. Who knows? You could. They don't have a, they don't have a subway in Miami. I don't, I don't like subways. I don't like subways either. 
They're creepy. Like the restaurants or the actual, like where you get Subway them? sandwiches aren't bad. Uh, the bread is mysterious. You don't like the bread? No. I usually get the, uh, the, the garlic and herb bread. I'm sure you do. Mm. It's got all sorts of additives in it. Yeah, it's got all kinds of like little bits on it, Ugh. like uh, tree bark and Who knows? seeds of some kind. Who knows? Yeah. Trail mix. So I'm going to talk about a place. Uh, it's called, and I hope I get the pr- pronunciation Probably right, because I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> Cockane. <laughs> it's spelled. That's a good one. C-O-C-K-A-I-G-N-E. Cockaine. Cockaine is a land of plenty, believe it or not. A land of plenty. Good and plenty? Remember good and plenty candy? It was terrible. Did you like the good and plenty or no. the good and fruity? No, no, good and plenty. Didn't they taste like licorice? Good and plenty was the Ugh. purple and white licorice tasting ones. Oh my god, I could eat pounds of that. Licorice is disgusting, first of all. Black licorice? Nah. How about the black jelly bean? No, you avoid the black jelly bean. What are you bean. talking about? Yeah, throw man. those away. No, I like getting because no. they sell bags of just black jelly that's beans. A, that's a sacrilegious. Oh my god, I could eat them all day and all night. Oh my god, you got problems. Yep, eating, eating that on purpose. You don't like black? You, you, you don't? Do you like black olives? No, I don't like olives in general. You don't like olives? No. Used to, when I was a kid, I used to put the little olives on my fingers. I don't like olives. They my taste finger funny. in a hole. They, I don't. I don't like it. The I only like, time I like olives is on pizza, like black olives. I can eat mm. if there's a couple of them. Well, on they're there. sliced thin there. Yeah, but uh, I don't like yeah, no. Put olives. your finger in the black olive hole. You'll enjoy it. Oh. So it's a land of plenty, a medieval myth, an imaginary place of extreme luxury and ease, where physical comforts and pleasures are always immediately at hand. That seems like a fun place to go. Let's and go. Where, where the harshness harshness of medieval peasant life does not exist. I feel like a peasant. So obviously, this was a uh, an attempt by and a story by you know obviously medieval times was tough, especially the dark ages. I love medieval times to come up with a uh, uh, you know something to give people hope. So specifically in poems like The Land of the Cocaine, <laughs> cocaine is a land of contraries where all the restrictions of society are defied. So basically like abbots are beaten, uh, abbots beaten by their monks. Ooh, that sounds fun. <laughs> Sexual liberty is open. I am a libertine. So an example of that would be nuns flipped over to show, show their bottoms. What? Yes. Boy, that sounds perverse. And food is plentiful. So like things like uh Sky's Rain cheese. <laughs> that sounds right? Imagine going out imagine going out to your car and you get hit by a big thing of limber falling <laughs> from the trees. Oh my god, I just got killed by a cheese wheel. Did you see the neighbors? They got killed by a nacho. Oh my god. Nacho cheese. You know what though? Back in medieval times you didn't have food? That sounded That's awesome. That's true. That's true. So writing about cocaine was a commonplace of of a Goliad verse. Oh. It represented both wish fulfillment and resentment at the strictures of asceticism and death. I see. Yeah, that's that right. Like cool so place. like Atlantis, like we talked about, and, and El Dorado, as we spoke of earlier as well, the land of cocaine was a u- utopia. A f- it was a fictional place, supposedly, but who knows? It may exist. Something in somebody's mind. Probably not. It's a parody a parody of paradise, idleness, and gluttony where the principal occupations were just fun, fun, and more fun for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a fun, That would be a great, uh, that would be a great <laughs> motto for a business. It's just fun, fun, fun for everyone. So Come on down to Frank's Cakes and Frank's <laughs> Gentlemen's Club and Hot Dog Emporium. <laughs> fun, fun, and more fun. Fun, fun, and more fun. So anyway, George Ellis. For uh, everyone. In a, in a uh, something he wrote in 1790 called Specimens of Early English Poems, he printed a 13th century poem called The Land of Cocaine, oh. where the houses were made of barley sugar and cakes. What if it rains? And the streets were paved with pastry and the shops supplied goods for nothing. That doesn't sound good. You're walking around, you got, you got dirt on your pastry. Apparently... Roasted pigs wander about with knives in their backs to make carving easy. Oh, that's disgusting. (laughs) Where grilled geese fly directly into one's mouth. Grilled geese. 
where cooked fish jump out of the water and land at one's feet. That's disturbing. The weather is always mild. The wine flows freely. Sex is readily available. And <laughs> all people enjoy eternal youth. Oh, old people having sex too? This sounds like my definition of heaven. Sounds like a cruise ship. When you die, you go to heaven. This is what happens. It sounds like the Carnival Cruise Line. <laughs> <laughs> so cocaine was a medieval peasant's dream, obviously. It sounds like the villages. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it offered a lot of relief. The thought offered relief from backbreaking labor and daily struggle for a meager food. So uh, it, it's, you know... Anybody would enjoy something like that, that especially in like medieval place, times. Sure. Yeah, it sounds great, doesn't you it? Have been to medieval times, the dinner and tournament, whether you go and you watch the the, oh. the jousting and whatnot. Oh, you know, we go to the uh, the medieval fair, the King Richard's Fair, which they. Oh, have. I like King Richard's Fair. It's a little a little pricey. It's overpriced for a leg of beast. You get to see a lot of cleavage, a lot of cleavage, of cleavage walking around in there. They push those things up to their chins, and they're usually large, larger women that do that. They are and large. men. But, you know. Yeah, I like the uh, the part where you can go in the little place and you can go see the torture devices. Oh, I bet you do. And there's a there's a well-endowed, corseted woman. Corseted. <laughs> who sits out front and yells, Come see the torture devices for one dollar. Come in and be tortured. And I'm like, oh. Come in and be tortured for two dollars. Yes. You can stick that. a finger in Here's a, a bullet hole. Go to town. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Anyway. You know, it'd be a fun, uh, maybe you could do that at the mall. Open a shop next to the massage parlor. A torture parlor? parlor? A torture parlor. You know what? There's probably things like that in the world. Uh, Something tells me Germany would probably have something like that. It has to be more socially accepted, though, I think. I don't know. It's pretty socially accepted now. Yeah? Like like the S&M clubs and stuff. Yeah, you're kind of into that, aren't you? Oh, you know, not to the clubs, not to the clubs. You you beat yourself or you have other people beat you? What I do in the privacy of my own home is my own business. Okay. What else you got? You got any more? That's it, man. I'm out of places. You're all tapped out? Yep. All right, I got one more. Okay. It's a place called Hi Brazil. Hi Brazil. No, it's Hi Brazil. It's another phantom place, Phantom Island. Okay. Supposedly, it's said to lie in the Atlantic Ocean, way out in the Atlantic Ocean, west of Ireland. Oh. And come to find out recently, I am Irish. Oh yeah. Mostly Irish. I always thought I was French. Oh, you drink a lot. I took a DNA, two DNA tests actually. And now, you don't, you don't believe in that. No, do I don't. And I think that they manipulate the data. And now your DNA is on file someplace. So you better you better be careful. Trust me, my DNA is all over the place, on file in <laughs> at, various places, at crime scenes, <laughs> so you don't hotel be- walls. <laughs> so you know, I had I had a hard time believing it as well because I got the first uh, results, DNA results, and it said that I was mostly Irish. Yes, we talked did- about this on the show before. We did. Oh, well, we did. Yeah, you talked about your oh, all results. All right. So I had to get a second test to confirm, and it confirmed the results. No, because you know what? They, they, they manipulate that data. You think they're in cahoots with each other? Two There's separate companies? News- There's been news stories that say that they manipulate the data and they just throw stuff in there. Okay. So I, once, once to me, once your credibility is questioned one time, mm. then you have no credibility. You know what? I'm going to do it again. I'm going to uh, do another no. company. You're gonna waste no, no, another no. I'm going to do it again, but I'm going to create a different name and a different profile. You're going to say your name's like Mbugi Umfogo. That's right, from and Zambia, see, and see I live what, in a right. stone castle That's in right. Zambia, or or what was it, Zimbabwe? Zimbabwe. Yeah. And uh, we'll see what the results come back as. <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting? Uh, anyway, you were talking about High Brazil. High Brazil, yes. In Irish myths, it's described it as a cloaked in mist, except for one day every seven years. So Whoa. you can't see it. You can't see it normally. Uh, which we have to be, be in the right place at the right time. Which would be bad for uh, you know people in the shipping channel. Yeah. So apparently one day, every seven years, becomes slightly visible and you can see it. What happens there? Well, you know, let's talk about nautical charts. Okay. Don't you like... <laughs> I love talking about nautical charts. It's my favorite subject. <laughs> we sit around, we nautical hang out, we charts. smoke cigars. How many fathoms is it there? We drink con- cognac. 17 knots to the west, sir. Uh, <laughs> we drink the most elaborate cognacs in the world. Lift the nautical sail charts. and sail away to the north. Ah, seven leagues, 25,000 leagues. Six fathoms sea. to the door line. 
I don't even know what that is. <laughs> what is a league? I say league. I used to see the movie 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Six knots. Sir. It sounds like league is you go down. Six, I 20, will be 000. on the poop deck should you need assistance. <laughs> ah, you have eliminated yourself on the poop deck. I can just figure, yeah. We sit around in a dark library smoking pipes, drinking cognac, and talking about nautical charts. <laughs> <laughs> so early nautical charts... Identified an island called Brazil. This show is devolving. West of Ireland and the Atlantic Ocean as far back as 1325. That's a long time ago. And they, later it appeared in a uh, in something called the Insula di Brazil in the Venetian map of Andrea Bianco in 1436. So it 1436. showed up on maps. It, it started showing up on maps, right? Okay. And it's uh, attached to one of the larger islands of a group of islands in the Atlantic. This was identified for a time with the modern-day island of Teresia in the Azores, which we talked about earlier. Uh-huh. So there could have been some uh, uh, confusion about that. So a Catalan chart, okay. the, the old, you know the old Catalans. Oh, those guys. Of about uh, 1480 labels two islands, Isla de Brazil, one to the southwest of Ireland, where the mythical place was supposed to be, and one south of Greenland. Which is not green. Which is not green, and it's, it's way, way west of that. So ma- on maps, the island was shown as being circular, often with a center strait or river running east-west across its diameter. So that sounds actually a lot like Plato's description of, of Atlantis. Of Atlantis. That's right. So, it, you know, obviously there were many, many uh, attempts to find this, all met with failure, mm-hmm. uh, but it still remained on maps as late as uh, 1865. Wow. So there, there had been a lot of expeditions. The famous explorer John Cabot, you've oh, heard yes, of him. Yes. He, he invented uh, Cabot cheese. That's right. And he went uh, looking for it. Mm-hmm. Cheese again. Uh, nobody found it. Captain John Nisbet claimed to have seen an island on his journey back I'm from France. I'm Mrs. Nisbet. <laughs> Nisbet. Nisbet. Ah. You know, we apologize for the last few minutes of this show. Yeah. Because it's been very... You know what it is? And what is it? Maybe it, maybe it bears some explanation. So sure. when we when we when we put a show together... We don't spend any time preparing it with one another. We just kind of do our own thing, and then we, we haphazardly throw it together for the show. So we don't really know what the other person's going to say. We don't know how long the stupid show is going to go. And sometimes you just run out of stuff to say. Sometimes we have too much to say. In all fairness, though, we, we had to have, we've had a busy week, so well, we're, we're trying to rush this, this show in. And, uh, you know, I had some issues uh, yeah. this week. Well, you have issues anyway. And, uh, you know, I don't, really, I don't really want to talk about it right now. That's but, fine. Let's not talk but, about you know, it. It's, it's, you don't be like those people on Facebook that go, oh, I just can't. And then everyone goes, oh, oh no, oh, what my is God. wrong? Oh. Oh. Or how about, how about uh, yes, I'm looking for, uh, I'm trying to find the latest, greatest recipe for uh, tuna, <laughs> yeah. tuna melts. If only there was some sort of website you could go to to find information. Ah. Did you know that you could do that? You know, I'm looking to get, I'm looking to get a, uh, uh, my, my two-month-old daughter's ears pierced. Is there any way I can, anywhere I could go? I don't know. Does anyone know of a place? Or when the people go on there go... Uh, be yourself, and you sh- your friends should know who you are, and you know who you are who is listening to this, mm. and you know what's going on. You know. So then they're like, oh, is this about Everybody me? goes, who am I? Oh, oh, what happened? Oh, my gosh. Or they go, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. so done. Oh, my God. Everyone, look at me. Oh, Jane. What's wrong, Jane? <laughs> Instant message me, please. Message me offline. Awful. Call me, please, Jane. Anyway. I don't want you to do anything. We won't do that. Traffic. But you know what we do want? We want feedback about this show. And we want you. Yeah, we want you to listen to this program. We want you and to listen. Tell friends. Tell friends. Come on the program. And you know what? If you hated this show that we just did, and I will have to say, this has not, have been, this has not been one of our better shows. Mm. But if you hated this show and you want to hear us talk about something that you do like, send us a freaking email and then we'll do it. If you want some coupons, coupons? for Frank's latest business endeavor. You want a free magnet? 
Or you want uh, a lock of Jay's hair? Mm. Something like that? What kind of hair? Message us at The Eon Project. That's T-H-E-E-O-N Project at Yahoo.com. Also, you can find us on Twitter. and uh, Twitted. All that good Twittering. stuff. Twittering. We don't have a website up just No yet. more website. We're not paying for a website. Not paying for it because no one ever went to it. Nobody went to it and uh, it was bad anyway. No, it was terrible. But uh, you know what? Actually, Mike and I were talking about this uh, just yesterday, as a matter of fact. And um, we are uh, in the process of, and you might want to get on the bandwagon now. You might. Because this is uh, gonna be huge. fame and fortune are coming our way. Huge! And uh, we have some, some some things in the works. I don't want to go too far. Projects in the works. But let's just put it this way. It's, it, it's, it's, it's TV and uh, movie related. Ooh. That's all I'm going to say. So if you want to get on our good side now before we're rich and famous, maybe we'll remember you. That's right. Maybe we won't. Probably not. So just remember, until next time, that you do some shit and believe it.